The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy, I feel a tremendous affection for this week's guest, even though we've never met, or be- we have, we we barely met. Yeah, well, it's Sheila McCarthy, um, and she's kind of one of those special people who, you know, she exudes a lot of warmth, even when she's hurting, and I... Her, her husband, her ex-husband, was best friends with my ex-husband. Her husband died, Peter Donaldson. He was an actor, and he died at 57. And we met just after that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was kind of, it was kind of weird. But uh, she was, I don't know, she was just full of, of warmth and love, and she still is, and she always is. And so I, I've, somehow it's always stuck with me. So there, there she is. <laughs> there she is. Well, I kind of fell in love with uh, with Sheila McCarthy way back at almost the beginning uh, of her career when she was cast as the lead in I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. And I was supposed to interview her then at the Toronto Film Festival, but there was a scheduling mix-up and I ended up talking to Patricia Rosema, which was great, but I really wanted to meet Sheila. Yeah, well, they're both feminists, uh, Sheila and Patricia Rosema, and they did this amazing movie. Um, But since then, Sheila's gone on. She's one of the busiest working actors around. Uh, Stage, television, everything. Uh, Movies, big and small. She she was a reporter, I think, in in, uh, Die Hard 2. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's mention that first and follow that up with The Librarian and The Day After Tomorrow, which also our friend John Moore, as a matter of fact. Ah, okay. A few stories about that. She was the donut lady. I mean, that was a big role in the Umbrella Academy. Uh, she was in the Little Mosque on the Prairie. She was the wife. She was actually hilarious. Uh, she was also in a lot of the Anna Green Gables uh, show. Yeah. The uh, Evanly. Yeah. Yeah. About five years ago, I was a presenter. No, may- maybe longer than that. I was a presenter at the Canadian uh, Comedy Awards in London, Ontario. We only see that in Canada, don't we? And I was backstage and and I saw this elegant woman standing next to me and it was Sheila and I I think I I think I gushed all over her. Well, yeah, she's kind of hard not to gush over. We were recently at an event that was memorializing Gordon Pinsent, kind of a big deal, and she was one of the sort of people making a a tribute to him and she 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 read a poem. It was beautiful. It was a poem. Was it a poem, Sheila? It was. It was a poem. Yeah, yeah. But okay, but maybe the biggest thing that you've taken on, and I got to tell you, I just mentioned to my son, my 24-year-old son, I said, we're talking to Sheila McCarthy. And he said, "What? Wh- who is she? And I said, well, her latest thing was was Women Talking, and she played Greta. And he was like, oh, my God, she's amazing. So that's from a 24-year-old young man. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you are amazing. And I hope you're not tired of women talking because that's what we're going to do. So, Sheila, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I was just talking to my agent and there was he, he was saying that there's this part. And he said, I don't really, I said, Adam, I'm going to be 68. Like, this is when you read off, rambled off all the stuff I'd done. Well, I've been doing it for a long time. I said, okay, you know, it's, uh, anyway age. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, well, a few things to talk about in there, but I I don't know. I watched obviously I watched the movie Women Talking and uh we both have daughters, so maybe it hit me particularly hard, but there was this there was like you you played this old lady which we can get into because you don't look like an old lady, but you, you kind of <laughs> did in the movie. But there's this moment there 
uh, which was so you in a way. Not that you would ever lie to your daughter and apologize about it, but that's what you did. And I was like weeping because there are the, the, the film is about these women who are drugged and then they're raped by members of their family or neighbors or, or, or whatever. And then you apologize to, in the film, to the woman who is your daughter for saying, I told you to forgive him. And, and I'm sorry that, and I was just like, oh. Is it? Difficult role. Well, we, yeah, when we were shooting it, and it, this is a very short backstory, but Sarah Polly, who directed it, turned to one of the crew guys who admitted that he had been abused. And after I apologized once, because that's what was written on the page, and told Marike that I was sorry, um, she turned to the crew guy and she said, was that enough? And he went, no. And so she said, let's do it again. And she said, just keep talking. And I did it twice. And I, I, you know, I've joked that, well, as Canadians, we say we're sorry a lot. But, and after the second time, she turned to the guy and she said, is that enough? And he went, not quite. And so we did it again. And it was the only moment in the whole film that was improvised. Like that, that she wrote one, I'm sorry. And I ended up saying it three times. And it's funny, I don't really remember shooting it. But when Sarah told me that story, I, I was so moved that one of the crew guys said afterwards, he said, that was enough. That was enough. Sheila, you've worked with so many people and so many projects, but this one was absolutely jam packed with massive stellar power. Probably the top actresses in the business. I died. <laughs> I mean, I was Did like, you? <laughs> why is the queen washing my feet? What are you talking about? <laughs> Claire Foy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you knew Sarah, but did you know any of the other actors going in? No, no, not at all. Judith Ivy and I, who played Agatha, we play, became fast friends. If she lived, she lives in Nantucket. But if we live, if I, I would see her every day. I just adore her. And Michelle uh, McLeod, who played my other daughter, she, I taught her at Humber. So, and we we'd been friends. And she, you know, she's a comedian. And she said, "I don't know how I got into this movie." And please don't tell anybody that I'm, I do stand up. <laughs> she, she, I knew her. As, as a teacher, student thing, but, but no, nobody else. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, um, August, who played the trans child, she did Scout when Peter, my late husband, did Atticus into Kill a Mockingbird. And now, they, now they're they, them. And, and so they were in the movie. And it was just interesting to see how they'd grown up and become such a great actor. So, yeah, so August I knew. But no, oh my goodness, I fangirled for the first couple of weeks. Let me tell you. I got to go back to the the kid thing just because I got to get it out of the way. But it was was such a moving moment. But it also made me think afterwards of, uh, I haven't seen Barbie yet. I know I'm going to go and see it. Everybody is talking about Barbie the movie. But Ryan uh, Gosling, of course, the Canadian, whatever, he's talked about how he would never let his kids go into acting. So you have daughters. Would you, like, it's the whole mother-daughter thing. Would you? Well, um, when I worked on the Lucy Maud Montgomery TV series, Emily of New Moon, they were both in it, and they were children. And it was hilarious. The drivers would come and pick them up before they picked up me, and it was like, off you go, girls, to the, you know. But I think Pete and I were very honest about how hard it is. And I've always told students and I always told them that if you can think of anything else to do, please do it because it's just too hard. Now, both my daughters are six feet tall. Neither of them 
pursued it. My younger daughter, no way, she's too shy. And Mackie sort of parlayed her career into directing and producing because, you know, she's just too bossy to be an actor. So, you know, I'm so relieved. I mean, if you can't stop them if that's what they want to do. But it's not for the faint of heart. And honestly, you know, I'm still auditioning for stuff. I'm still being rejected. I'm still, it, it never ends. And it's just, you know, you have to really. You're still auditioning. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It is crazy. I mean, what, uh, I guess they want to see you in the role that you're auditioning for, but I mean. Well, yes. And it, listen, it's for, if it's for somebody I don't know, I'm super happy to audition, but I, and I, oh, I try not to audition for people I know. I just go, come on. And I, as a director now, would never audition anybody I know. Like, that's just my rule. I'm just doing a lot of theater now, and it's, I'm really happy doing, doing that. And so, but, you know, then there are these incredibly elegant auditions. Like, I Zoomed with Sarah Polly for two hours for Women Talking, you know, because I was coming out of COVID feeling kind of lazy and maybe done and maybe who cares anymore and, you know, whatever. I didn't mind COVID in a weird way. I, 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 had, a, I had a good uh, pandemic, too. I know what you mean. I didn't mind it. I know. It's, I was sort of relieved not to feel pressure and not to feel nervous in the morning, you know. So anyway, that was a beautiful Zoom two-hour meeting. And she just kept saying, you're too young for the part. You're too too sprightly. And I'm going, oh, you take off. No, you know what? We're going to be good. I mean, I'll just be very still. I promise (laughs) I'll be very still. And I really worked on that. It killed me. So how much mascara do you wear is what I really want to know. Like when you glam up, like, do you really glam up? Oh, well, no, I've just embraced false eyelashes lately because, you know, those really thin. They're fantastic. Oh, my God. But, yeah, no. For women talking, we'd get there in the morning and they'd scrape it off. You know, that was just – but I loved it. I loved it being that naked. That was, I mean, the first time I saw the movie, I was like, oh my God, Judy and I both went, finally, we go to the Oscars and that's what we look like. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want to, I want to talk a bit about the, well, you were at, uh, I went to all the award shows, but watching you guys, Sarah, you, uh, the whole lot of you, were you, were you in the mezzanine or something? I just, no, we were in the like the second row. I could spit at the host, like at, at really. Jimmy but you looked like you were having a blast. You were all killing yourselves laughing right in the front, like Lady Gaga, <laughs> the Gorney Weaver, what Kate Hudson, like they were all there. Paul yeah. Mescal. Oh my God, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, dreamy. I love him. Wow, but I mean this, and so I mean you had no idea this. None of you had any idea that the. The movie would no listen when we shot it because you can't think that way i mean i thought with this amount of star power uh but we were so down the rabbit hole of making the movie and it was a you know it was a very intense experience it was also really fun too like we all we were together for three months every day so we laughed a lot we talked a lot we cried a lot and we were all and it was in the you know the very thick of covid so everybody was you know very careful but it really wasn't until I saw it until it really wasn't until we were in Telluride a year ago and people were coming up to us in the street when people first saw it were weeping and couples coming up and men, women, and the husband would stop, start talking to us and she, and the wife go, no, 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 you don't get to talk. 
I get to talk. <laughs> and it was this incredible, you know, movie stars throwing their arms around me, Anne Hathaway weeping and crying. And I was like, oh, I think, oh. I think I'm in something big. You know, I think, I think Michelle and I looked at each other and went, well, this is going to be a ride. Wow. But you're still auditioning. I find that really weird because, I mean, the movie won an Oscar, so you should have, like, offers, like, from the ceiling, like, dropping from heaven. Has it, cha- has it changed your the people's perception of you? I think maybe for a moment, but now we're in this big strike situation. So world is collapsed right now. So it's a very interesting time. It's interesting. When I, I we were in Telluride and Claire and Jesse Buckley and uh, Rooney Mara all auditioned for the same part. And they were discussing that. I don't think it ever ends, even at their level. Right. I mean, those are three very different women, but they're all of an age and they all met the director and auditioned. What was it like when uh, you mentioned the Zoom call with Sarah Polly? So that was like an hour and a half. It was during COVID. So it was on Zoom, obviously. And you knew her because she, you were her mom or something when she was like. Yeah, well, I played her mom in a movie. And yeah, I mean, she kept apologizing and she kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to put you through this. I'm so sorry. But Brad Pitt has to approve you and Francis McDormand. Anyway. I'm pretty good with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and honestly, at the end of the audition, I was so full. And we went through every every moment of the script together. And it was so complete. And I walked into my husband's office and I burst into tears. And I just said, I mean, I could cry thinking about it. That, oh, my God. I had no idea how much this was going to mean to me at the beginning of this Zoom. And by the end of it, I thought, and then I didn't hear for three weeks. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, wow. Okay. So I emailed John Buck and the casting director, and I said, thank you so much for that incredible experience with Sarah. Hint, 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 hint. Can you please give me a hint? <laughs> well, I'm so, yeah. I mean, I wrote Bruce Willis a letter when I for Die Hard. That's a whole other story. But anyway when he took the part out of the movie and I went, you can't put the part out of the, take the part out of the movie. And he put the part back in and I got it. But uh, so I'm very, I like to be hands-on about things and yes, but at the same time, I just wanted to let her know that I was so honored and blah, blah, blah. And John, he got right back to me and went, Oh, you got the part. Ah. <laughs> oh, we need to, um, we need to, to pin you. Yeah. You, you're, you're on, you're, you're gone. I was like, oh. But it was a huge, big operation. And Sarah was, you know, involved in so many other decisions. I think, you know, it was going to happen, but yay. Yay. <laughs> I want to ask you, it's funny. You mentioned Judith Ivy and you both play the older women in women talking and Judith, who is a phenomenal actress and like yourself in my mind came from comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And has been a real revelation to see her embrace these dramatic roles. But I wonder about that because, again, like when I met you briefly, it was at the Canadian Comedy Awards. And Mermaids, I think, is considered a comedy. And I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And Little Mosque, certainly. And I wonder, too, how, when, you're, when you're taking on a comedic role as opposed to a dramatic role, how far apart are those two persona, for lack of a better word, you know, I get asked this in class a lot because I teach comedy and I, th- I think it's it's acting is acting. And I always go from a place of, you know, what is the character not good at? What, you know, what is their, what are their foibles? What are their flaws? Because there's so much to mine in, in comedy that way and in drama too. And I, I love the flaws. The only 
real technical difference might be speed and dexterity. When you're doing comedy, you need to be on your toes like a tap dancer and you need to be ready to fly. And, you're, and it's a little bit faster sometimes. You know, dramatic actors can take make big dramatic pauses and can take their time and drive you crazy. But I think that for me, it all comes from kind of the same place. And it was funny with women talking because Greta was really the only one who had a slight, well, there was humor in the movie, but you know, her, you know, Ruth and Cheryl, her horses. And, and it was finding that fine line between how amusing can that be in order to tell these stories in the, and I think it it was sort of a a relief, you know, to have the, the horses there, you know what I mean? It just amidst all of the Sturm and Drang of it all, you know. But for me, it's really just acting, and and uh, I don't favor one over the other. Um, I remember when I did Emily of New Moon, there was not one ounce of humor for four years. My character Aunt Laura, she every description was Aunt Laura pales and cries and sees the room, (laughs) and I got really good at crying. I got was like when the show ended, I went, oh, I really. I'm not crying enough right now. I need to be crying more. (laughs) But it's all good, you know. It's interesting about Aunt Laura when you think about it. She was always lovely. Always lovely, but so... And kind and patient and... Oh, yeah. But so drugged up with laudanum and so screwed (laughs) up and so, you know, poor Aunt Laura. Poor Laura. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so are you like a triple threat? You're you're like, you do a little bit of comedy, you're a dancer, and you act. That's not your normal triple threat, but there's all these things. Well, because, you know, I started... I started when I was five at the Allen and Blanchland School of Dance, which is musical theater. So my entrance into this career was at the Charlottetown Festival doing Anne of Green Gables. And I did the, you know, the rock opera of Hamlet with Brent Carver and Beverly D'Angelo. And, and I, I, I mean, I was never... A, you know, Mr. Lund used to say to me, Sheila, do you even have a cartwheel? And I'd go, I know. <laughs> Dancing from here. I was really, you know, look. I mean, when I look at the dancers today with all their tricks, forget it. Forget it. So, you know, I went to New York and studied with Uta Hagen and opened my mouth and that was it. And I was never disciplined enough to be. I didn't care about the triple pirouette enough to... And, you know, a dancer's career is so, so hard. And it's so, yeah, anyway. And abbreviated, yeah. Cartwheels. Can you do a cartwheel? Can you do a cartwheel? I can do a cartwheel. Maybe on the right. Don't, you don't need to, you don't need to do the, either of you. It's okay. No. And, you know, I did one once and I cartwheeled right into the orchestra pit at the Charlotte and <laughs> sprained my ankle. So I'm a little gun shy about doing cartwheels. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we, one of our producers still does cartwheels and, or at least she, she signs off with a picture of an emoji of someone doing a cartwheel. <laughs> yeah. Knowing your limitations. That, the whole idea of becoming forget it no but I I still I love dancing and I I, you know I I love tap dancing and I love I love musical theater people and I love directing musicals because they are so open and it 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 can be considered the poor cousin at places like Stratford but I defy a straight actor to come into a musical theater and you know realize how difficult it is to to do to be in those shows The Women of Ill Repute. Women talking. I, I 
I don't know whether we're allowed to even like raise a question about it, but I, I kind of wanted people to fight, you know, like there, there's all of these women who come together, the, the conversations, I, I don't know how she figured, Sarah Pauly figured out the screenplay to have everybody be sort of supportive, even though you could tell that there was this underlying tension between those who wanted to leave and they ultimately, they have to make a choice, even though in real life, I think, you know, they didn't speak the language, they're illiterate, they're uneducated, they, they stayed, but in the movie, well, spoiler alert, it's been out for a little while. They they have to make a choice between leaving and staying. But there's all of these, like, they kind of love the men. Like, I don't know if they love men who had abused them or not. Well, I think it's this very deep-seated root of their religion. You know, they've been entrenched in this patriarchy their whole lives. And, you know, because it is an act of female imagination, Miriam Taves took that original story from a Mennonite colony in Bolivia and and then imagined nine women sitting around talking for the very first time about these issues and so they're speaking from a place of spirituality and and day-to-day tasks and cleaning and child raising and and so that it is the 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 language is not something that they would probably ever really speak. You know, I listen, we were all worried that it was going to be kind of boring, that it would be just, you know, two hours women talking. Like I remember, I remember my husband heard the title and he went, the tomatoes are talking. What kind of title is that? <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, it, we were concerned about that just being, are people going to, like, is it going to be my dinner with Andre where women are just talking for two? But I think what Sarah did was she created such a tension with boots on the ground and not showing the 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 assaults, just the before and the after. And, and the idea that human beings can change, can have their minds changed. And it's not an easy film. Like, there is not a, it's not an easy film to... To, to sit through, but I think it surprised people, you know, although I did have, I've had a lot of men come up to me very concerned about, well, where do they go? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a male question. Where do they go? <laughs> and well, where do they go? And what do they, well, where do they go? And go we always joked that we were at the Starbucks down the road. We're, just, you know, we're all going to meet at the Starbucks down the road. In Bolivia. Said, yes. Well, yeah. In, yeah. I said, well, that's not really the point. The point is that it's not about leaving. It's that they cannot stay and that the consensus is and the vote is and the journey it takes for these women to have minds changed, which very rarely happens in the world. As we know, minds are never changed. I mean, we, we live in a polarized world now. Thank you, Donald Trump. And I think that this was a big concern of Sarah's that minds could be changed in the movie and we watch it happen. And that she, she loved the passion of that. Wasn't there a quote of her at the Oscars? Didn't she say, I'd like to thank the Academy for not being morally offended by sticking the words women and talking so closely <laughs> together? <laughs> yes. yes. God, so smart. She's so smart. And she was so relentless with her beliefs of this, of, of those words. And, you know, originally from Miriam and, you know, the bar was very high and, you know, I just respected it because there are not very many movies like this. No. I mean, let's face it, no. you know, and the fact that it reached out to the masses in the way that it did surprised everybody, yeah. really. Sheila, I want to ask you about your life since Peter has gone. 
because you had, as far as anyone knows, a very successful marriage and, and you were very close. Oh, yeah. We, we were apart a lot. So that yeah. was good. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I know. It's, it's, it sounds like such a trite question, but how has it been? How, is, how has it been? Oh, what a great question. You know, my sisters tell me that when I married Pete, I married my father. And when, when I married um, Monk, Alan, I married my mother. And I went, okay, that's really <laughs> that's that's not, attractive. It's kind of true. <laughs> But, uh, you know, no, uh, Pete and I were together for 28 years and, you know, you don't ever get, I mean, you just never get over it ever. But three years later, I met this man who, it killed me to go on a dinner. I'd met him because I used to audition for him. He was a commercial director and he never cast me. So he made the big mistake at a dinner party of telling me, you used to audition for me and you never, and I, I never cast you. Really? Okay, great. Great. But then we, he asked me out for dinner and my daughter Mackenzie, like she said, mom, just go. I mean, I think both girls, both daughters were saying, oh God, please someone take care of mom. Please someone take care of her. And you know, I always loved being in my life with somebody. Like I think my life is richer with somebody. It's hard and it's good and it's bad and you're in love and you hate them and you love them. But it's a, it's a better sunset for me. So we went out for dinner and we laughed for a long, like we really laughed and we had mutual uh, friends and children and, you know, uh, you know, dysfunctional and all that stuff. And um, I kind of just didn't get in my way. So what's it been like? And then I got drunk in Rome and proposed. I mean, I don't know why we got married. <laughs> I really don't know why. Well, I hope he said yes. I don't know why we got married. Yeah, well, we got clearly. Married because we joked that we we're going to start a family. Like, I don't know. It was just a way to have a party. But it is, it's great. It's, it's great. You know, Pete is here all the time. And, you know, with, I look at my daughters and I just had a grandchild a week ago. So, you know, that's. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And these watershed moments of life. Uh, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because I mean, it's we don't know how long we've got, and here we are, and everything feels everything feels extremely precious since my granddaughter was born. That I don't remember feeling when I had children, and even don't remember feeling when I lost Pete. But there's something about a baby that has made me feel like the world is scarier all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get that. I get that. You know, it's just, uh, so um, my life has been, like, it really changed. It really took me by surprise. And I guess I just kind of didn't get in my own way. And I'm, you know, I think now if I was alone again, I would be okay. I think I would be, I would be okay. It's interesting. I realized that I had not really ever lived alone. And so when Pete died, I was really at a loss. I didn't really think I could And after a while, people, I remember someone saying to me, this is the busy time now, but in a couple of months you will be alone and that's when it's not the busy time and that's when it'll be harder. And it it was true. And I don't think there's any way of escaping that and not going through that. But I do remember coming home from parties alone thinking, oh, wow, this this is hard. Work was great. Work. I was doing Little Mosque on the Prairie and that work, work has always made me happy. So... That was, that helped me. Yeah. 
kept me busy. Yeah, I remember, I don't know whether this is too goopy, but I, I remember meeting you and it was right after uh, Pete Donaldson died. And you were at a, a big function at the Carlou and we had our picture taken together. And I just, I just remember thinking, oh my God, she has just been through. I mean, he had lung cancer, so I'm sure you, that would have been a very painful long-term thing that you guys went through. Uh, but, but still, I mean, I, I don't know, just the, the whole idea. I'm so happy to hear that you're happy and that you've had a grandchild. I, uh, I didn't have a kid until I was, uh, I didn't get pregnant until I was 40. So like, she's going to be really old now. So I'm trying not to put any pressure on her. I just go, Oh, look at the cute <laughs> <and> baby. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She's 24. She's 24. And, and she's, yeah, she's just gone from thinking kids are gross to, you know, ba- babies are cute as long as they're somebody else's. So, you know, in another 10 or 20 years, maybe. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, Maggie was 35, you know, she's, and I never thought, I never thought she would. And then she met this guy, you know, and it's just, it's, um, it's also, I'm um, not the babysitter, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, it's only been a week, Sheila. <laughs> it's only been a week. And, you know, it's funny. I'm kind of going, oh, can I come over today and just look at her? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's quite a surprising, really. It's never <laughs> like that with my daughters. Um, you know, one on a hip with a script in my hand. But, um, no, it, 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 it's great. And I remember that night. And we, it was a hoedown. I think we were in cowboy hats, Wendy. And it was just, those were the events that I would have gone home from just going, ah. Yeah, well, it would have been you would have been right in the throes of whatever the the heck was going on at that period. So when you lose somebody so close, it'd be so weird. But when Peter had cancer, we were were Sheila. We're not going to get sad twice. So it was a very interesting two years of complete denial. It's which is a very interesting word, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, you just think okay. And then when he did die, we were surprised, and it was it was. It's interesting that anyway. Yeah, I'm choosing to live in denial, uh, which is working just fine until the truth, the truth hits, and then the truth. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? What's going to happen is going to happen anyway, right? So why not, yeah. <laughs> Sheila? What are you working on now? I am going to North Bay on Sunday, and I'm starting a kind of a horror movie called "Love Is the Monster." It's a Finnish film, and it's kind of loaded. White Lotus meets The Exorcist, I guess. And it, I've done—I don't know—I've done a couple. Of, I've done a couple of horror movies, and nothing is more fun than shooting a horror movie. So it's couples at this retreat, and yeah, and then there's this creature, and it's—it's it's really fun and weird. And so I really don't know what I'm getting myself into, but it's a month in North Bay. Lots, lots shooting up there. I guess the end they get, yeah. and so they got papal dispensation from SAG, from Screen Actors Guild, to make this movie because it's an actor, it's Canadian. It's Finnish Canadian, but there's SAG in it. And, you know, because, so I'm surprised that they were allowed to do it. But off I go to North Bay. So. Well, The Exorcist is really back in. I just, I was just at a, I went to see Oppenheimer. I'm going to go see Barbie, I promise. Um, Maureen, I'm going to go see it. Um <laughs> But there was a trailer for, for another movie, and it was an exorcist. It was, the exorcist is back. And I'm like, whoa, is this where we are? But I don't care. I love the exorcist. Oh, oh no, no. And it, it is a great, great film. And I, I think William Freak, he just passed away too, I think. But, you know, they're really fun to do. And, and then there's this whole underbelly of film festival, horror film festival, that they they play at that has this incredible you know audience so 
this will be fun. I have no idea <laughs> what it's going to be like. We hope that you have fun. We're going to wrap up, but we have loved talking to you. It's so great to see your face and so so good to hear that you're happy and employed. I'm sure that the offers are just going to like, they're just going to tumble in. Well, especially now that you've done this podcast, that's oh, going to make all yes. this difference. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sheila, for talking to us. It's been great to meet you again. Thank you so much. You guys were great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Why do I feel like we've been hanging forever? Yeah, she has that certain something. I don't know what it is. Maybe all actors have it. They have a familiar face and you feel like you know them. But with her, there's something with Sheila, there's something different. Like I really, I don't know, I went a little overboard maybe in talking about meeting her, but, uh, and she probably, maybe she doesn't even remember, but I sure do. She has, she has that something. Tell me something. What's the correct way to refer to your deceased husband? Because you said ex-husband, but he's Peter's your ex-husband. Her Peter is. He's not. He's like. <laughs> but what's the correct word? My, 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 my deceased deceased husband. I don't know my, what the proper term yeah. is. You know. But anyway, I'm. I, I yes, in some ways he is her ex-husband, but that's not the word. We'll figure it out. In post-production. post-production. Yeah, so her deceased husband, just to be clear, her, her deceased husband, not her current husband. I didn't realize she had remarried. I felt like, say, well, Sheila, that's fast. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there. It took three years. Yeah. No, it took three years, but still, I mean, she's obviously, like, as she said, it's, it's better to go through life with somebody. Yeah, and realizing that, you know, now that if she had to be alone, she could yeah. be alone. So, yeah, it was it was lovely, lovely to see her, to see yes. her face. Yeah. And to see women talking. Oh, I do. I'm going to remake the movie. I'm going to win a screenplay. I'm going to beat out Sarah Polly. I'm going to rewrite it so that there's more fighting scenes. What do you think? <laughs> for more of an action movie, <laughs> women fighting. Uh, have you have you actually read the book? No, I haven't. I've just seen the movie. I should. Yeah. You should. I'm, if you, I've got it right here. I can lend it to you. It's 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 a different experience. I mean, obviously the, the themes are are much the same, but uh, I, I would uh, I would advise reading it as well. Well, I probably um, should have read it before doing this interview, but I saw the movie. It was it was yeah. really good. Well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Go see I will, Barbie. I promise. All right. It's just like women talking, except pink. (laughs) Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley, with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.